Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I'm Danny Parisi, Senior Fashion Reporter at Glossy, and I'm here with Glossy's Editor-in-Chief, Jill Manoff. Hello, Jill. Hello, Danny. We've got a lot of fun stuff to talk about this week. Um, We're going to talk about the Oscars, um, and we're not going to talk about, well, maybe a little bit, the the biggest piece of news from the Oscars, but we'll talk about all the, the fashion stuff. Um, we're also going to talk about Lululemon's earnings, which were on Tuesday, had some interesting stuff in there. And then finally, we will talk about Lizzo's new shapewear line, which is pretty fun. It just was announced today. Wednesday is the day we're recording this. So just was announced this morning. Um, but to start, the Oscars. So obviously, the thing that everybody talked about and cared about about the Oscars was Will Smith. Um, Jill, I don't think we need to touch on that since that's not very fashion related, but is there any fashion angle there for you, or should we just go on to the <laughs> What the was looks Will Smith saying when he slapped? No, um, yeah, there's a great story on Glossy regarding um, how it really ties into our world. Um, but yeah, I think that the fashion story um, for me, for the whole event, uh, I, it just, I, I was thinking about the bra- fashion brands that had a presence um, on the red carpet and um, that receives some marketing and whether or not this impacts them in any way. I mean, obviously the red carpet isn't, it's not the draw it once was like, um, these award shows are seeing less viewership and also, you know, some of the attention that they once got was around this kind of snarky, like, um, best and worst dress do's and don'ts, like, who flopped. And that's not so much the conversation. That's not really, it it goes against kind of the grain in terms of uh, self-expression. That's really what's being championed these days. So there aren't a lot of like, what was she thinking? Although I used to do that on Fox 2 News in the morning in St. Louis, best and worst dress. Anyway, (laughs) it was my main thrill in life. But anyway, I talked to Monique Lulier on the Glossy (laughs) podcast and she said, um, you know, that built her brand. So when, when it was bigger, like it can do a lot for for a fashion brand. She said, um, you know, she couldn't, when she launched her brand, she couldn't afford PR. She couldn't afford marketing. Stylists would come in, find a dress, say, can I get this in whatever color for my celebrity client? Um, and her name got said by, you know, every reporter covering the red carpet, people knew how to pronounce her name after thanks to the red carpet, Monique Lulier. It's complicated. Um, so she's really said, you know, that the world has been changing, in terms of there are all these ambassadorships for with fashion houses and celebrities. So more people are spoken for is how she she um, termed it. And but she did call it the key to her success. So it's interesting. Would love to talk to a brand um, that had a big presence like a um, Valentino. There was a lot of custom Valentino happening um, about how that translates to sales. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's a good point. Like, not Oscars related specifically, but how many brands were absolutely made by, um, like, Meghan Markle wearing them or or somebody like that? You know, wasn't Birdies like? Didn't they get a huge boost from Meghan Markle or Kate totally. Middleton or something like that? Like, so it, it absolutely can do it. But you're also right, and I was going to mention this: 16 million people watched the Oscars uh, this week, which is the second least watched Oscars ever. And I, and I think the least watched was last year or, um, or maybe the year before. So it's like absolutely like very much declining. And this was from a couple of years ago, but I, I was looking for figures on like how much brands typically spend on, on like getting their clothes on the red carpet. And, um, as of 2018, which is the most recent number I could find, it's like easily could be seven figures. Um, and, but if it's dropped so precipitously in terms of viewers, I'm like, that and and this maybe should be a glossy story, Jill. Is is just like is the red carpet worth it to 
pay that much anymore because it's just not that many people are watching the Oscars. I'm a big film guy. I I really like I like to keep up with like all the nominees and everything. And I have not watched the Oscars like live, you know, tuned in for the whole broadcast in years now. It just like I find it frustrating and and like the they always pick like the movies that I don't like or that I don't think should win. So it's 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 frustrating for that. And they've definitely made it like a ton of efforts on the, the Academy Awards part to like make it more watchable, bring more people in. They do the whole like fan favorite movie now, which is like a way to get a Marvel movie to like sort of have a presence there because people love this. Um, and I just feel like none of that's working, you know? So, and, and like there's extraordinary circumstances and stuff with the pandemic. But I mean, I feel like even before that, the Oscars viewership was just like going down. Yeah. I wonder how that compares to people who actually watch it versus watch it live. It's so slow moving, three hours. Like if you're going to watch it, maybe you watch it after the fact and fast forward through all the crap. <laughs> like, right? Yeah. So um, yeah, I don't know. In terms of brands, like, and ambassador, like there are everything, there's a lot of predictability, I would say, um, in terms of like Kristen Stewart were Chanel and Zoe Kravitz were um, Saint Laurent. And um, I don't know, not really. I mean, Zendaya had a, a La Roach style look, but she always does something interesting. Um, and she was my best dressed. I will go there. Um, but yeah, it, I don't know. I, I, you had a great story about the, the jewelry moments of watches in particular. Um, go ahead. So go watches, ahead. watches in particular, but I, I was going to say I did just non-scientific from, but like searching my inbox for Oscars stuff, I got like 25 emails from Tiffany about like all these different celebrities wearing Tiffany. And that's something I, I've heard from, from brands in general is just like at red carpet events. It's one thing to have like one celebrity wear your stuff, but really you kind of want to have it like suffused throughout the hall. Kind of thing. So Tiffany like definitely spent big, um, which kind of ties into like some of their rebranding, reframing of their marketing, I guess a little bit. But um, yeah, definitely like a lot of big watch brands had a presence there. The one person that I did get to talk to at the brands was the president of Omega, and um, you know, obviously he probably didn't want to like down, you know, talk down the the thing that they just spent money on. But he seemed like pretty. He seemed still pretty in on the red carpet as as like a, a moment for them. Um, there was a lot of Omega watches on the red carpet, men and women. Um, and that's something I covered in my story this week is that watches are sort of like, there's a lot of more, a lot more gender neutrality coming into the watch world, but definitely felt like the watches and, and jewelry were on display. And I think you mentioned, Jill, that there were some celebs that were maybe not even like A-list celebs with like multi-million dollar diamonds on their necks and stuff. And you're like, clearly this is, that's, that's the brand, you know? Definitely. And I mean, in terms of the first of all, it was a huge year for fine jewelry, which um, which we all keep talking about as kind of being shocking during the pandemic. Um, but there's and people are investing in timeless pieces, things that are not going to go out of style, which um, fine jewelry tends to be a classic and wear forever. So um, I, to me, looking at the red carpet and even just the imagery, it seemed like I mean, it's always a gown and jewelry moment. It just seemed more piled on and more statement. And um, I, I think that brands are leaning into their moment um, in terms of fine jewelry. Um, and also, I mean, it may not translate to sales. I think that a lot of this is marketing. It probably, it may translate to um, traffic to the site, which hopefully brands, you know, get their site ready to, for, for a moment because there was this great stat that came through my inbox actually. Um, and 
it tied to what you were talking about on the watch front, the unisex and how um, it's it's unexpected in terms of what guys were wearing and girls were wearing the women were wearing the chunky monkey ones. Um, but uh, Timothy Chalamet, he wore a um, Louis Vuitton look from the women's collection, actually. Um, and they referenced Zend- Zendaya wearing uh, a menswear that she was driving this trend. They said her her menswear shirt on the red carpet. I actually think what was driving um, the trend, if it was Zendaya, was her um, Vanity Fair or after party look. It was a men's suit or tux. Um, but searches for unisex fashion um, immediately following or during the Oscars were up um, on search engines by almost four, no, three, tw- 326% to be exact. So um, yeah, people are inspired and, and they're looking, they're, shopping accordingly, I would say. Yeah. And and last point on the Oscars, like even as we're talking about the viewership being down and like all this, the Oscars are struggling. Like, I feel like the one thing that people still at least care about is like the red carpet looks. I feel like I saw just as much coverage as ever of that, um, even if like maybe people aren't tuning in as much for the ceremony anymore, um, which is a shame. And, and the thing you were saying about it, like, you know, being so slow, it's like, it is, but at the same time, I'm also sad that like Samuel L. Jackson got an Oscar and they didn't even like televise it, you know, because they skip a bunch of stuff now. So it's like it's it's sad that there's people. This is just my not my fashion reporter side, but my like film lover side saying that it's a shame that some of that stuff gets cut. But I mean, if nobody's watching, nobody's watching, and that that sucks for them. Um, but let's move on to Lululemon. So they had their earnings Tuesday evening, I believe, um, and a lot of interesting stuff in there. Um, Big news is just that they they crossed six billion dollars in annual revenue, which is I think still around ten billion less than Nike, but that's humongous for them. I mean, that's I, that's the record year for them, I think. Um, but the two things that stuck out to me, and one of these will be a story on Glossy um, uh, by the time you listen to this, um, was price increases, which they talked about the the CEO. Um, Calvin McDonald talked about price increases, and the other thing was just getting into new categories. They um, I think they announced earlier this week or last week that they're doing footwear for the first time. And Jill, you and I talked, um, not on the podcast, but just about how the footwear is a complicated category. It's it's not as simple as going from making leggings to making sports bras. It's like a whole, requires a whole new kind of supply chain and stuff. So, um, but if you've got $6 billion in revenue, you got to spend it on something. So new categories seems like, you know, a, a good a good path for that. And um, actually, our our sister site, Modern Retail, had a great story on the, the category extensions, extensions specifically for, for Lululemon this week. Oh, great. I actually haven't seen that Modern Retail story yet. Um, but yeah, we talked about it again um, in terms of um, the, the sneakers. But as they've always been known for yoga, yoga wear and running apparel. They they used to break it down into those two categories. I don't know that they still do. But last time I shopped, it's been a while. Um, and now, yeah, rolling out tennis, golf, hiking um, clothing, which I mean, that makes sense as you're growing. Um, and when we compare them to Nike in terms of uh, they're going after Nike with with the sneaker market, um, it, it seems maybe like at first it seems almost like far fetched. But I believe, do I have it right? Nike, Adidas, Under Armour were the top three um, activewear brands. With their $6 million in revenue, they've surpassed Under Armour. So, I mean, if they're the number three brand, hello, that that's huge. 
that is huge. And six billion. You said six million. Oh, six thank billion. you. That's totally what I meant. No, it's okay. Just <laughs> just for clarity. No, but I mean that's what that's what I mean. Like that is that is huge. And I think um, the other thing is not only are they getting into new categories, but there was a lot of talk on the call about menswear. Um, again, modern retail touches on this in their story, which I can link in the description. Um, but uh, men's is definitely like I think they've been very women's focused for a long time. Um, Nike and, and Adidas, I think, are pretty thoroughly mixed at this point. Like, I don't, I think I imagine their split is pretty even. Um, but Lululemon is definitely, you know, educated guess. I think their men's side is probably a lot smaller, but that's something that they talked about growing. Um, and then the other thing is just price increases, like I said. So this is like very inevitable, very common across like a lot of brands right now. But something that stood out to me on the call was how there was a lot of downplaying of like how extensive these increases would be. Um, the CEO was like, you know, he said several times, like, it's not that drastic. It's a, it's a small thing. Like, it's only impacting 10% of the catalog and stuff. Although the, I think they kind of said that, that there will be more um, price increases later in the year. The, the 10%, I think, is for the second quarter of this year specifically. Um, but Jill, this is something you mentioned to me. Lulu is already like pretty, they're pretty high price without being fully into the luxury category. And I think when you're past a certain price point and like people know that your brand is expensive and stuff, like you can kind of price it as whatever, like luxury brands have been increasing their prices pre-pandemic for years, like just like for fun, you know, because it doesn't matter to their customer. And I think Lulu is like not quite expensive enough to be able to get away with that. Like it's definitely like people joke about like Lulu being so expensive and stuff. And like, I think it's because they don't put it on sale that much, but I, I don't think they can quite get away with like rampant price increases with like with no communication the way that like Versace or somebody could, even though Versace talked about it in their earnings too. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Um, I read a stat that their prices are 30 to 40% above the Nikes and the Adidas of the world. Um, and it depends on, you know, well, first they're increasing prices with uh, within 10% of their inventory of their merchandise, which is pretty good percentage, I would say. And it really, I think, in terms of how it's going to impact their growth, um, I think it depends on, I mean, everybody's raising prices. I I don't want to generalize, but it seems that that way when you ask brands. Um, it, it kind of depends on how Nike and Adidas are swinging it a, a little bit, because I talked to a brand today that was saying, you know, we're sucking up the cost, or we're reflecting the the price increases that we're seeing. Um by selling thing by not doing discounts like we're selling things for full price we used to cut by 20% or whatever we're no longer doing that and it's kind of evening out um so it kind of depends on <laughs> i guess the way competitors are doing it i also wanted to add that peloton is a rising competitor in this space but also true yeah yeah activewear is still outpacing casual wear uh, most every uh, apparel category right now they're so anyway they're in a good place but uh, there's still kind of a race to the to the top top five. There's a lot of action going on. Yeah, for sure. And that your point about reducing discounting, that's something they also mentioned is like, I think they're already pretty um, infrequent discounters anyway, but they, they talked about doing less discounting, um, also focusing more on core product, like seasonless kind of stuff, which I think is like al almost but less than 50% of their um, sales. Uh, so they talked about bringing that up because it's just like, it's easier um, in terms of logistics because they're making so much of it. They can, they you know, it, it, it ends up being cheaper for shipping and production. Um, 
And then the other thing that they kept talking about, which I thought was so interesting, was moving to air freight for shipping as opposed to shipping by sea or land. Um, And the interesting thing about this was that they expect that shipping by air or doing more of their shipping by air in the first two quarters is going to cost them a lot of money. And then with the hope that by the third quarter and and beyond, it will end up being cheaper. I'm not sure exactly how that works, but the supply chain stuff is like, it's all about, from what I've heard, it's all about like, you know, scale and like what amount of things that like, if, if we get to this number of, of units shipped, um, you know, past a certain threshold, then this option becomes cheaper or stuff like that. So there's, there's a lot of like maneuvering, I think, um, at a lot of brands right now. And, and so that's one of the things they talked about as, uh, hopefully staving off higher price increases in the future when they can save on that shipping and uh will they pull back prices <laughs> they're gonna increase but they'll decrease no they won't see i don't know and actually you know what i wanted to mention something that i did not get to this is not lulu related but it's related to price increases um i didn't get to mention this in a story i wrote a week or two ago about um uh me undies um pulling out of, of using nfts and i i found their sort of retraction was on like the me undies subreddit and I was just browsing. They have a pretty active like forum on Reddit. And I was browsing through. There was a lot of discontent among their like small but but loyal group of users that that use the MeUndies subreddit. There was a lot of discontent around the NFTs, but there was also a lot of criticism about MeUndies raising their prices. And the users there were like, you know, digging up the CEO's salary and like posting oh, it God. and being like, oh, okay, so he makes this much, but we have to pay 10 more dollars for underwear or something like, oh, he spent $300,000 on an NFT, but we have to pay 10 more dollars for underwear. Got it, got it. See, there was a lot of like, you know, MeUndies and Lululemon are not the same brand, but I think there's definitely, not everybody takes price increases without, well, you know, lying down. I think there are some customers who get really, really, and rightfully, you could argue, like, um, justifiably defensive about stuff like that, you know? Totally. Before we move on from Lululemon, I have to ask, because they're focusing more on menswear in, in 2023, I think that men's shoes, they're coming then, like later. Um, but anyway, do you shop at Lululemon? Would you consider? Is that on your radar? I I never have, but I absolutely would. Cool. Um, I mean, everything I've seen, like, I know that the the quality is good, like, just based on, like, knowing people who own it and, and hearing about it and stuff. But I honestly have never really browsed it, you know. Yeah. But but speaking of, like, the Oscar stuff with, like, genderless unisex fashion, I feel like all those walls are, like, coming down. So I'm open to it. Just I never have personally. Okay, last last story. We're going to talk about Lizzo. Um, love Lizzo, just for the record. I love Lizzo. Um, but she announced, again, I think that was this morning that we're recording this on Wednesday, um, that she has a shapewear line or shapewear brand coming out called Yiddy. Um, and it's, uh, I think it's coming out in April, starts around $15 to $70, I think. Um, Jill, I wanted to throw this to you because I feel like you might be, you might like know more about this than me, but like from observing the glossy beauty side, I feel like there are so many celebrity beauty brands. Like there's hundreds, it seems like the beauty team at glossy is always talking to various celebrities about like their brand. And I feel like in fashion, I don't know, maybe like totally anecdotally, it feels like there's less of that. Um, except for a few ones that stand out like skims, obviously, which is also shapewear, um, and probably the main point of comparison for, for Yiddy. Um, but there's like 
Fabletics is with Kate Hudson and Savage Fenty with Rihanna and stuff. So like celebrity brands exist, but do you feel like the beauty has more of a hold on like celebrity brand than fashion? That's interesting. I think beauty is moving faster. And so uh, these incubators and these, um, I guess, kind of conglomerate larger companies are, are um, really like roping in these like influencer types and celebrities to to start brands with. I I, we're seeing it. I think we're seeing it more as um, brands, companies get get hip to the power of the influencer slash celebrity. But and that's in terms of you know I, I like to refer to this, but like Matt Scanlon from Nottam, and he just li- he linked with Ariel Charnes to start something navy, and he also Takoon to start his line. And so he would he told me at the time when he became CEO of all of them that like. Um, really tapping into an audience. Like, I mean, that saves a lot on marketing. Let's just say that um, in terms of launching a brand. We also know Fabletics, like you said, is behind. I did actually didn't know Textile changed its name to Fabletics Inc. New information. It may be brand new. Um, I didn't know that either. I know. That's crazy. But yeah. That must be recent. I just talked to them like a couple of months ago, I feel like. Totally. That must be recent. Maybe it's just now with this new launch. Um, but they're behind this Lizzo brand. Um, they're behind, obviously, like you said, Kate Hudson and Fabletics. Um, Savage by Fenty or Savage Fenty by Rihanna. Um, they, that spun off, but that that originally launched with them. Um and also one more example is like Yen's Greed, um, which is, you know, launching brands left and right um, is behind Skims um, with Kim is behind br- the new Brady brand and obviously has like learned that this formula is effective. So anyway, we're seeing it more. We're seeing it in a different way, I would say. Definitely. Is Yen's also behind... Um... Uh, 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 Good American, the other yes. brand, right? Yep, totally. That's, is that Court? No, that's Chloe. Chloe, Chloe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's so. That's so. That's another one. Yeah. Jens is is very busy in in this space too. And then, okay, not to just list a million examples, but I'm come to think of it, there's also that one that's like House of LRNC with Sierra and Russell Wilson. So there there are a lot of them. So. So with that context in mind, Joe, looking at Yiddy and and what they're talking about, um, did you do you feel like this is y- like just another celebrity brand? I I don't know. I feel like to me, Lizzo has like I feel like people love Lizzo. Like she has a very like endearing, like very. I guess every celebrity has their fans, but I don't know. I just feel like she's got like very devoted following in the way that maybe like. Kate Hudson, no disrespect to Kate Hudson. I'm like, are there super rapid case Kate Hudson fans out there? I don't know. Um, you know what I mean? So I, I just feel like her her name is one thing. I feel like she's she's very beloved. And then also having it be shapewear specifically as opposed to just activewear or like just general kind of fashion or something. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of demand for shapewear specifically. I don't know. Given all that, how do you think it stacks up with with some of those other brands we just talked about? Yeah, well, considering her fans and her reputation, it's interesting. The New York Times story made a good point, which is like she's known known for being naked. Love your body, love yourself as you are. So let's squeeze it all in with shapewear. It seems almost like like she would get backlash for like even going there. Um, but she said, you know, it's about doing whatever you want with your body. And like, it doesn't mean you're ashamed of it. It's just like, I want to feel good, look good while doing it or something like that. Um, 
It's funny. It's just literally. So again, my story will be out by the time this comes out. But um, talk to Guido Campello with... Uh, From Junel. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, Cosa Bella today. And I was asking about this because I was like, do you guys do shapewear? And he's like, yeah, we do. But it, it seems like it's more like the Spanx style uh, shapewear. Spanx is not, you know, it's not at its heyday. Um, we know Skims is on the rise. It's valued at $3.2 billion. Um it's buzzing. He said something really smart and I agree with, which is like shapewear is but is catchy. Like it's buzzy right now. Um, but it's like this is not a shape brand. Like shapewear isn't shapewear, what people are labeling it. Like it's a sexy word. People like to say shapewear. <laughs> but what like Kim's brand is and what Lizzo's brand is, Lizzo has thongs, leggings, shorts, um, like sports bras. It almost seems like a combo of activewear and loungewear. And it's not like yes. squeezing you in and put on your shapewear, like some of the pieces, but that's a very small percentage. That is such a good point. And I, I didn't like verbalize or I didn't like verbalize that in my head, but I feel like I was thinking that, which is that, uh, especially reading that New York Times piece, because you're right, they make that point about like, oh, isn't shapewear the opposite of like loving your body and stuff? But I'm like, yeah, but like people wear skims like with nothing over it. Like that, it's like, it's not really shapewear in that way. I feel like sh like traditional shapewear, it's like, you don't even know the brand name. It's like, it, you know, it's like a tool more than it is clothing. Um, and the, the modern sort of wave of shapewear, especially skims, and I feel like you could probably point to some other brands. It's not really meant to be like this hidden secret kind of, like func purely functional thing. Like it is stylish and has a branding that uh, you want people to know about. So I didn't really, when I read the New York Times piece, I didn't really see where they were going with it be just because I don't feel like it's that kind of shapewear, you know? Agree. Yeah. I, it, again, I just think it's trendy, um, which who would, you know, if you call Spanx shapewear, who would think this would ever be <laughs> trendy? Um, it was interesting to me that with um, Yiddy, that, Lizzo, she almost wound up skims like it's it goes it's extra small to you size six X. I think that skims is five X. <laughs> um, so I mean that's interesting. It definitely speaks to uh, size inclusivity, which is what she stands for. Um, but yeah, we'll see. She made a comment, uh, something like, you know, I just it's not competition. It doesn't feel like a crowded space. There's plenty to go around or something. Which true especially if you're doing activewear. <laughs> oh, yeah, are. for yeah. sure. And and one final thing this is this was a years or a couple of years ago at this point but I I remember Kim getting called out for advertising like appetite suppressing lollipops or something which is like the complete opposite of like love your body. It is like the most like toxic like harmful thing. And I don't know if like Skims has ever really branded itself as like a love your body body positivity kind of brand like i don't know if they're explicitly like hate your body but they're i don't think they like are super super like using that kind of messaging um so you know that's another gap i think for for yiddy you're right and i don't i think that they'd get a lot of flack if they did so because um we know that there's some work done on those bodies <laughs> yeah <laughs> let's yep, just say sure. that for sure for sure um Okay, so continuing something we started doing last week, we're also going to talk just for a few minutes about a story that we wrote um, on Glossy this week. And uh, this week, it is not one of minor Jill's stories, but we're going to talk to Glossy's fashion reporter, Zofia Zviglinska, about a metaverse story that she wrote. Um, 
Sophia, thank you for coming back on the podcast. Yeah, it's great to be back again. So you wrote a story about the Metaverse Fashion Week that was going on. Um, was that just in Decentraland or was that kind of like across a bunch of different metaverses? No, so that one was just in Decentraland. I know that there were others, um, other events going on at the same time. So I think there was a bit of a confusion going on. But no, that one was just the Metaverse Fashion Week in Decentraland. Got it. Okay, okay, cool. So I want to ask you a couple of questions about this story. Um, for those listening, if you want to read the story, um, I will include a link to it in um, in the podcast description. But Sophia, so the your story, you talk about two kind of like more mainstreamy kind of brands, Cider and Tommy Hilfiger, um, and how they both approach metaverse, NFT kind of stuff. Um, I guess my, my question for you is, what did you observe about those two brands and and are they kind of following the playbook of some of the more digitally like kind of web three native brands or are they just kind of doing their own thing? So with um, the two brands, obviously you're talking about very different um, kind of brand strategies and and kind of brand identities. Um, So the first one, Cider, is an ultra fast fashion brand that's kind of specifically focused on the Gen Z consumer. Um, and then the other one is Tommy Hilfiger, who's, you know, an all-American, very kind of traditional retailer, um, although it is one who has kind of um, expanded into the, the digital platform space. So essentially, both of them are going into Decentraland for the first time um, as part of the Metaverse Fashion Week, but they've both had slightly different uh, approaches to it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely like coming from two different spaces, even though they're both like sort of more mainstream kind of like normal brands, I would say, as opposed to like Dress X or some of the like digitally kind of brands that you also mentioned in the story. Um, Tommy Hilfiger, especially to me, feels like uh, a pretty adventurous for for like a kind of older, like kind of traditional brand. Um, what did you make of their kind of approach to all this like NFT metaverse stuff. Yeah, of course. So it's actually quite funny. I think that Tommy Hilfiger is one of those few brands who are traditional, but who have also like really gotten into the the digital space. Like they they launched a Tommy Island in Animal Crossing in 2020. Um, they had a Roblox partnerships in 2021. And they've actually led an initiative for gamers called Team Tommy um, in March this year. And it basically shows how much of a gaming space like they want to go into and what kind of a future they see in that kind of digital environment. So for them, essentially, it's part of a, I would say, a longer journey um, into the digital space. And Decentraland was simply the next platform. And kind of the most um, new or novel thing about it um, would be the inclusion of NFTs. Um, because that's something that is unique to Decentraland and to, you know, crypto platforms. Right, as opposed to just regular gaming platforms like Roblox or something. And that's, I'm I'm actually working on a story on this for Glossy 2 right now, but the, the, the difference between something like Decentraland, which is like made for NFTs and feels very like appealing to brands versus something like Fortnite, which is a game first and it's appealing to gamers. And then on top of that, it has like this opportunity for brands. I feel like there's definitely an interesting distinction between those two types of platforms. And I know Decentraland is new and exciting and stuff, but uh, to me, I feel like something like Animal Crossing, which, you know, had millions of people playing it with zero presence from brand, like it, it had some value on its own. And then on top of that, there's a little opportunity for brands like that feels 
better for the users, you know? Mm. Um, yeah, I get that. What did you make of just like uh, Decentraland's Metaverse Fashion Week in general, outside of Cider and, and Tommy Hilfiger? Like, did it did it feel like exciting and, and bold or was it kind of like one of those things where it's like, is it, does anybody really like this or I don't know what, what were your thoughts <laughs> yeah of course um I think that the actual like events so the panels the um catwalks and even the kind of in-store experiences which are a little bit more kind of out there were definitely really interesting but essentially you know it, it's Decentraland is still a platform where you have retailers put up you know, essentially physical stores in the digital space. So you're talking about a replication of the physical kind of environment of shopping in a digital space, which might not seem too exciting. And then, you know, on, on top of that, you also have the issue with um, the the kind of performance needs that you need for, um, for actually accessing Decentraland. And with that many people on at the same time, there are always going to be issues for, for servers. And as it's kind of online, only so you open it in your browser, it can have quite a significant kind of impact if you don't have um, a gaming laptop and that kind of lag might make the experience a little bit worse. But I do know after talking to um, some of the people from Decentraland that that is something that they're working on for the next year's edition and they're going to make sure that that's kind of much better. So essentially, like, this is an experiment it was always going to be that and the you know inclusion of brands is only a way of showing how they can get engaged in that space specifically yeah definitely um cool well i think that's everything i wanted to ask you but zofia do you think you could tease a little bit of what you're working on in the metaverse podcast kind of space yeah of course um so i'm working with a reporter from digiday on a metaverse podcast that is going to include fashion with a dedicated episode and that will be coming in the summer so very excited for that we'll, we'll be on the lookout for that and maybe we can have you back on we can review to talk about that when it comes out um but thank you Sophia, for being here and for those of you listening please rate and review this podcast if you can it's really helpful um and if you're not subscribed already you definitely should because you can hear more conversations with me and with jill and Sophia. Um, and in the exact same feed, you also get the regular Glossy podcast, which has Jill interviewing industry insiders every week um, on Wednesday. So do that if you can. It is very helpful. Thank you for listening. <laughs>